I'm ready to get into this week's message, and it's perfect timing for this story because I'm going to talk a little bit about generations. The Bible says in Hebrews 11.20, it is a chapter about Hall of Famers of Faith. And we all know that the greatest of all time, the GOAT, the greatest of all time, is Jesus Christ. But the Bible also has an entire chapter devoted to those who paved the way for Jesus Christ to come. And they're considered the Hall of Fame of Faith. And I think you and I can be inspired by them because I don't think God's done creating goats of faith in our modern day. Look at your neighbor and say, you just might be one of them. And here's, we've been going week by week looking at a different goat from Hebrews 11. And I have two of them for you today. Let's read in, starting in verse 20. The power of faith prompted Isaac. I want you to read aloud with me those first four words together. The power of faith prompted Isaac to impart a blessing to his sons, Jacob and Esau, concerning their prophetic destinies. You do know, guys, that there is an unparalleled power that faith holds that is matched by nothing else in this world. No title, no accolade, no degree, no bank account, no amount of follows or shares on social media can match the unparalleled power of faith. I need you to see just how potent it is if you can get a little bit of of it in your life. Today, I'm believing for a greater deposit of faith in your life today. It says the power of faith prompted Isaac. Then it says in verse 21, Jacob worshipped in faith's reality at the end of his life. And leaning upon his staff, he imparted a prophetic blessing upon each of of Joseph's sons. In other words, he prayed over his grandchildren. And so we look at Jacob, uh, Isaac praying over his sons and Jacob praying over his grandsons. And I want to preach a message entitled, Faith That Alters History. I believe this one's loaded. You need to take notes. Faith that alters history. Would you pray with me? God, I I am believing that you're going to move. I'm believing you're going to impart a seed of faith inside people's lives that they begin to believe, they begin to get confident, they begin to get bold, they begin to get secure in your love, that they begin to make an impact that alters history. Create history makers in this place. In Jesus' name I pray. And if you agree with that, you said... Amen. You know, a few years ago, right after we had launched the church, Lift Church is only a little more than uh, four years old, we had two college-age students come to my wife and I's house, and we had them over for dinner, and we were just chilling and talking and having great conversation. And then it was time for our two littlest ones to go to bed, and we started the same routine we have done every um, uh, since uh, er, er, while our kids are young, every single night that they're in our house, my wife and I go into their room, sometimes together, most of the time, just one at a time, and we lay our hands on our girls and we speak a blessing over their life. And then we leave the room and we say, you're up, and the other one comes in. And we have done that over our three girls their whole life. So that night... Um, the two littlest ones knew that the two uh, uh, college-age kids were, were lifters, and so they said, would they come bless us tonight? 
We said, you go ahead and ask them. So they leaned over the balcony rail, and they said, would you come up and bless them? And I saw their faith as they came up, like, I've never done this before. What do I say? What do I do? What's appropriate? I don't know. And they, they, I said, dude, you just talk to God the same way you always talk to God. Just talk to God over them and bless them, and, and that'll be cool. Thank you. And they went in, and they did it for each. And then we closed the door, and they looked at me with this faith, face, and one of them said, you do that every single night? And we said, every single night. We speak a blessing over their life. And, and what I could see was their sense of no one's ever done this for me. So I don't know how to do it for another. I feel inadequate doing it for another. And I'm seeing something I've not quite seen before. I've had other Christians come into our house. People who self-proclaim Christians who when, uh, when my kids asked them to come pray, I saw the same look of inadequacy and feeling like I don't know if I can do this. And I, I would always ensure them, you pray all the time, right? Just talk to God over them. It's going to be cool. And, and, and there's something powerful about a generational blessing that we see Isaac and Jacob become goats and known for. In fact, this weekend at lunchtime, I think we need it more than ever because I was having lunch with uh, Dr. Marion Travers. He's the head of Lifemark Christian Counseling Center. They are amazing people. I, I have enjoyed my relationship with Dr. Marion as well as not just Lifemark, but uh, Life Counseling Center as well as many other Christian counseling organizations that I think are doing an amazing work. And I was just sitting down having lunch with them at Chipotle and we got talking, he said something that I knew, and I think you know, but it hits you different when you hear it. And he said, well, Pastor Drew, as you know, there's more blended or broken families than there are nuclear families today. And it could take an entire lifetime to get comfortable in your own nuclear family. Imagine when you're going between two families or more. And now today, I don't want to speak any condemnation over anybody, but I do want to look at where we are today and allow God to prompt us, how do we move forward in a way that helps? Because uh, I read a book that was so provoking by Rabbi Jonathan Sachs called Morality. It's one of the deepest books I've read in a long time. And he shared, he's an English uh, um, a philosopher and uh, rabbi, and he... Uh, shared this experience that he went into the English prisons to speak to the juvenile uh, uh, children. Uh, these, he noted, were all kids of broken or most of the time neglected homes. It, 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 and because of that, uh, they are now one step away from being locked up on serious time. And he went in there to do a documentary for the BBC on the state of the family. And so he asked them simple questions like, Tell me more about your family and how you grew up. And he found they were reluctant to say anything negative about their family. So he changed the question. And he said this, I'm sure you want to be a father one day. What kind of father will you be? And he said, that's when men who were acting strong broke. Most of them began to cry. And many of them said things like, um, I would be a tough father. I would ensure that the rules are kept because they weren't kept for me. And I would ensure that when my kids need me, I would show up like somebody hadn't done for me. And this is Jonathan Sachs' takeaway from this. Read with me. It said, these were young men with strong instincts for good 
who if they had been born into a different kind of family environment might well be preparing to go to university themselves instead of being given one last chance before being sent to prison. This part is crazy potent. Listen to it. I believe that the injustice done to them by society is hard to forgive. A generation imbibed the idea of sex without responsibility and fatherhood without commitment as if there were no victims of that choice. But there are victims, especially the children of dysfunctional and abusive families who would never really have a chance to pursue their dreams and are mired instead in a culture of poverty, violence, prison, and hopelessness. Guys, what am I saying is that what is the Christian response to this? We, we, know, we know that there is a generational gap that is brewing that is larger than this past seven generations have experienced. But we need people who are people of faith, men and women who are goats of faith, who become known for a generational blessing. I'm not talking about a generational curse. I'm not talking about a generational damning or canceling. I'm talking about a, a people of God who will walk by faith and say, I get the the reality, but my faith eyes see something different, and I'm going to be a part of the solution. Look at your neighbor and say, let's go. Tell your other neighbor who was your second choice. The world needs you. When I look at Jacob and Isaac in Hebrews 11, the Bible is not very long-winded about them. They became goats by one blessing his two kids before he died, and the other blessing his 12 grandkids before he died. And we're talking about them today as Hall of Famers. In other words, it is not that hard for you and I to let our faith get outside of us, reach and have fruitful uh, uh, um, evidence and uh, uh, ch begin to change things. I'm, I'm preaching about a faith that alters history. In fact, I said it this way. By being a faith goat for their family, they became a goat to God's whole family. By being simply a faith goat for their own family, God used them become, to become a goat for God's entire family. And it was only by faith that it altered history. And I'm believing that the Lord will use this sermon to catalyze some modern-day goats starting in your own homes and reaching beyond your own homes. See, the enemy doesn't want you to step out by faith. The enemy wants to discredit your prayer life just like the people I invited to pray over my girls. Just like the feelings of inadequacy whenever you have to step into a faith moment and you wonder, is a pastor nearby? Is somebody who's walked with God closer or longer nearby? When God knocks on the door of your heart and says, lead a small group, and you say, I'm inadequate, I don't have enough yet, and we try to uh, uh, wait on the sidelines. But I want to talk about a faith that might not even be extravagant faith. It's just enough faith to bless your children. It's just enough faith to bless two, uh, two generations from now from you. It's just enough faith to get involved and God says, I want to I I, 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 I make sure people hear about this for centuries to come. The enemy doesn't want you to think you can do this and have faith like Isaac and Jacob. In fact, here's just three takeaways from Isaac and Jacob's Hall of Fame faith. Number one, Faith in the generational blessing made them memorable. Faith in a generational blessing 
made them memorable. I want to get the enemy off of some of your backs who thinks I'm just a mom praying simple prayers that I don't think is very remarkable in the first place. Evidently, Jacob and Isaac are now in the Bible and noted in Hebrews 11 as, let me tell you about their faith. Here's their standout faith. They bless their kids. They bless two generations from now. They imparted their faith. It took faith to say, I don't know if I have the right words. I don't know if I'm strong enough. I don't know if I'm as good as my daddy Abraham or my granddaddy Abraham. Because the Bible seems to suggest that Abraham was closer to God than Isaac was. And the Bible definitely suggests that Isaac was closer to God than Jacob was. Yet they stepped out in weak faith. And just by praying for the next generation, we're talking about them today. Now, I know there's one thing we all have in common, and that is we want to make a mark in our life. And if you want to leave a legacy, learn to start praying for your home, your family, the next generation. But I don't care if you're the oldest person to the youngest person in this room. I don't care if you have kids, grandkids, or no kids. You can start right now blessing the next generation or two generations from now. Blessing it makes you memorable. Number two, when I look at Jacob, for example, Jacob was a rascal. There wasn't that much memorable about Jacob. In fact, most of his life he lived for himself. The Bible says in Hebrews eleven twenty one that while Jacob was leaning on his staff, he blessed uh, uh, Joseph's twelve uh, Joseph's kids. In other words, he had a limp. Let me tell you where that limp came from. Jacob was known for being a deceiver. He was a liar. He lied to his father. He got his mom to help lie to his father. He lied to his uh, first wife. He lied to his father-in-law. That is not very wise. He lied to everybody he could. He lived selfishly. He hurt women in his lives. He hurt all kinds of people in his lives until one day he had an encounter with God. It was later in life, and when he did, the Bible says that Jacob literally wrestled with God. And when he wrestled with God, he was so self-righteous, so, so strong, headstrong, that it took a while. And finally, the Lord touched his hip like a dislocating. And the Bible says from there on out, he walked with a limp. So that's why when he prays for the grandchildren, he's leaning on his staff. So two, two takeaways from there. Here's the second one. Faith, not offense, made him remarkable. When you have a moment with God where you're like, God, I don't know why you're doing this. I don't know why you touched me this way. I don't know why I went through that. I don't know why I walk with a limb. I don't know why I have this situation. You can either get offended with God and we don't talk about Jacob anymore. He wouldn't show up in our word anymore. There's a lot of people who lived offended, died, and we don't know their name anymore. But because he chose faith, not offense at God. He said, my God is real. My God is powerful. My God is mighty. My God is a reminder that he is with me. My God can move mountains. My God is able. And so it was faith and stepping out in faith that made him remarkable. Um, number three, faith made him powerful over every weakness. I could imagine Jacob having this handicap, making all kinds of excuses that when faith prompted him to pray for his grandchildren, he could have made excuses like, I can't walk. 
I'm useless. I'm an eyesore to society. I'm a drag. I've got nothing left. Nobody likes me. Nobody wants to spend time with me. Everybody thinks I'm weak. Yet, God turned his weaknesses into his greatest strength. That even though he leaned on his staff when he stepped out in faith, the Bible says that that faith was remarkable and it altered history. I'm here to tell you, you don't have an excuse that God can't overcome. Come on. You can't say, I don't know enough. I don't know how to pray like them. I can't pray like anyone else. I waited too long. I missed my shot. I don't even have kids or I'm too busy because God will use you even with a limp, leaning on your excuses and your staff when you choose to step out in faith. God can use it. Am I helping anybody today? Because I, I have a feeling I'm speaking to many people who might have this inner heart saying, Pastor Drew, I believe you could bless my kids. I don't know if I could. I don't know if I could make a mark on the next generation. I don't know if God could use me. He used a guy hobbling around on his staff, weak, frail, but faith was strong. And God said, I'm going to use that, and it's going to set up the 12 tribes of Israel. Come on, I, 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 I'm pumped about how God says that he can turn our weaknesses into strength. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9 says, But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is perfected in your weakness. Insert your weakness. Insert your excuse. Insert your reason for not stepping out by faith. Insert, I'm too young. I'm too old. I don't have kids. I got too many kids. I waited too long. I don't like the next generation. <laughs> Insert your excuse and realize God's faith is perfected in your weakness. For when I am weak then I am strong. Why? Because I'm not operating out of my strength. I'm operating out of my faith. And my faith has far more power than my abilities do, than my degrees do, than my intellect does, than my strength does, than my bank account does, because faith has power greater than all the others. Tell your neighbor, your faith has power. In fact, I think you should write this down. Faith is simply doing it weak. Faith is simply doing it weak. I've had to pray for people before. I'm like, I don't know if I'm the most adequate one to do this. <laughs> I've, had to, I've had to speak on pulpits before, and I'm like, I don't know if I'm the right one. You might have had job promotions. You're like, I don't know if I'm the right one. You might have had opportunities to speak into a family member's life, and you could say, I don't know if I'm the right one. Faith is doing it weak. We just go, I don't have a lot, but what I have, I'm going to give you, and I believe, God, you'll meet me in the middle of it. It's going to be the greatest thing ever happened in my life. Amen? Amen. So, uh, right, uh, uh, in fact, you should tell your neighbor right now, I'm going to make this world a better place. Tell your other neighbor, that's going to require faith. So, three ways to become a goat to the next generation. Three ways to become a goat to the next generation. I don't care if this is the generation under you generation two generations from you i don't care if you're the oldest in here or the youngest there is a generation that needs you and i'm so proud of some of our youngest people who are serving in children's ministry right now because they might say i might be young i might be in middle or high school but my god can use my faith even though it's weak it's not quite developed like some of the others in here still i can make a mark why don't you go ahead and give it up for our dream team right now by the way, some people who are using some 
Weak faith, maybe. I don't know where they are in their faith journey, but God uses it because two couples came in last week and said, we have been watching online for over a year. And we said, time's up. It's time to get in person. And we got to meet four, four more people in this place last week. I've already seen three of them back. Come on, give it up for our media team who's just using their faith, saying, I can hit Zoom, I can hit Focus, and there are people who are coming to Jesus Christ, whether it's uh, through strong faith or weak faith, but it's powerful faith. So three ways to become a goat to the next generation. Number one, by faith, believe. By faith, believe. This is about getting your head correct about the next generation. I've read Barner reports and social surveys that say the generational gap between millennials and those above them is the largest gap that we've seen in seven generations. And so that makes for people to go, oh, I don't know why they do things like that. And I, I don't know why they like, why is it so loud? Okay, anyway, come on. We, we, can, we can come up with a whole bunch of reasons to complain, but we will never make a mark on the next generation if we're complaining about them the whole time. The next generation needs people who believe in them, who has a heart for them, who sees something gold in them, who sees what God put in them, who digs up treasures, who says, I've got time for you. I'm going to speak life into you. I'm going to think correct things about you. Because even if nine out of ten are wrong, God is the one who leaves 99 to go after the one. So if God would not write off one, I certainly am not going to write off a generation. I'm not going to write off a stereotype. I'm not going to give in to racism. I'm not going to give in to stereotypes. I'm not going to give in to people who dress like this or like this. And people like that have cold hearts. And people like this don't want anything to do with God. And people who swing this way and that way or whatever. Come on. It starts by faith believing the right things. God knit them together in his mother's womb. He doesn't make mistakes. Who knows if they don't fall in the category of Jonathan Sachs said about the people in the English prison who it's not even really their own fault. It's the sins of our society that went before us that have raised them to believe that this doesn't really make a dis dif difference as long as mommy and daddy are happy. Listen, I know this is heavy, and I don't speak condemnation over anyone who might have made those decisions. But what I do say is faith has an answer for this, and you and I have to have the right mentality where we don't write people off quickly. We don't participate in cancel culture. We say, come on, by faith, I'm going to believe there's God stuff in you. Isaac and Jacob only, if they only believe negative things about the next generation, we're not talking about them today. You can't help fix something you're constantly complaining about, which reminds me a little bit of a Boudreaux joke I once heard. <laughs> Boudreaux and his boy Clarence are just two good old bayou boys from South Louisiana, and they had a bayou in between their lands, and Boudreaux didn't like Clarence. Clarence did not like Boudreaux. The, Neither one of them could swim, and there was no boats or, 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 or bridges. And so Boudreaux would just go out his backyard and holler at Clarence across the bayou. And he'd say things like, boy, Clarence, I hate you so much. I would come over there, and I'd whoop you if I was able to swim across this bayou. And Clarence used to stand from the other side and say, I wish you could swim because I'd, I'd pile you down into the ground. I'd kick your butt. Come on. And they were constantly throwing each other uh, complaints and arguments across the bayou. Until one day, Marie uh, 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 Boudreaux's wife said, they're building a bridge. 
And Boudreaux said, that's a good news right there, Marie. Come on. When they're done that bridge, I'm going to cross that bridge. I'm going to go over to Clarence. I'm going to whoop his backside. Come on. I'm going to show him who's boss around here. I'm tired of complaining about him. One day, they said, the bridge is done. Boudreaux said to Marie, I'm going over to Clarence's house. I'm going to let Clarence know, know a little bit of the Boudreaux muscle. Come on. We're going to show him a thing or two. He left and came back about three, four hours later with his head held low. Looked in decent shape, but looked dejected. And Marie said, Boudreaux, did you go over there, Clarence, and whoop him up? Boudreaux said, no, I didn't. I, I didn't get over there because Clarence is huge. He's, he's crazy big. And she said, well, if you didn't even see him, how'd you know he was that big? He said, he probably would have killed me if I would have gone up to him. I couldn't get there. She said, how'd you know he, how, how big he was? He said, I got all the way to the bridge. Halfway across the bridge, it said, Clarence, 12 foot, 6 inches. I turned around came home. Come on. <laughs> That's funny. I don't care. I don't care what you think. Because you can't fix what you're constantly complaining about. Boudreaux doesn't fix Clarence by complaining about him, and neither does Clarence fix Boudreaux by complaining. We need a generation who, by faith, believes the right thing about the next generation, even if my eyes see something different. Somebody say, by faith, believe. Second Corinthians 10 says this, the weapons of our warfare are not the weapons of this world. Instead, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. That starts in your head. We tear down arguments, they start in your head. Vain arguments. We, we tear down every presumption that starts in your head. And, and we set, that sets up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So the next time you try to write off a generation or a people or a child or a grandchild, you say that's not what God says about them. In fact, here's your application for point number one. Simply, the next time you think that, ask, is this how God feels about them? Or say, would God give up on them? We already know the answer to that. So I can't give up on them, despite what my eyes see. By faith, I get my head space right. Number two, by faith, pray. Now that I got my head right, I'm going to start speaking right. I'm going to stop speaking complaints. I'm going to stop speaking death. I'm going to stop speaking uh, uh, um, uh, all, all issues because Isaac and Jacob spoke a generational blessing by faith. They didn't know if it would come to pass. I've done studies on teenagers, and you know what they are looking for? Older people who will believe in them and speak life into them. And if you'd be willing to recognize something gold inside them, they are more likely to follow you. I want them following Christians more than I want them following the world. The problem is American Idol often tells them what's gold in them before sometimes the church does. Come on. Sometimes the church complains and picks and picks apart and says you shouldn't do this, shouldn't do that, you shouldn't be this way. I think that it needs to be the church saying God made you that way. Look at the gift he gave you. Oh, look what he's going to do in your life. I can't wait to see this flesh out. I can't wait to see how God's going to use you. It's getting quiet up in here. I hope there's some people who agree with me that we need people who speak life because when people start speaking death and complaints guess which direction I go thank you cancel mute don't want to learn from you don't want to be in your small group don't want to develop under you don't want to go to lunch with you but when you start speaking life and it starts by the way you pray start lifting them up in fact two things you could do to speak life speak blessings to God over them 
you just begin to say like Moses did. God said to Moses one time, I love you, Moses, but those people following you are stiff-necked. That's about the funniest adjective in the Bible to me. Them brothers are stiff-necked, all stubborn. All, they got issues. They won't follow me to save their life. I like you, Moses. And so he said this, y'all go ahead now. I'm going to stay back because I might take them out if I stay close to them. You know what Moses did to intercede for the next generation? He said, if you don't go with us, I'm not going anywhere. Because it is your spirit, it is your hand on your life, our lives, that differentiates us. And so you say of the next generation, I'm not allowing them to go on now without you. I'm going to be a part of it, bringing the spirit of God into the middle of it. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to speak life. Here's something you could do practically, and you could join me. Every Wednesday, I have a reminder that goes off in my phone that says, pray over the next generation. Because on Wednesday night, our soul youth meets, and they do an amazing ministry to middle and high schoolers. Why don't y'all give it up right now for every leader in soul youth and every student in soul youth? I so believe in the next generation that every Wednesday I pray for them. I dare you to put a reminder in your own phone. Every Wednesday it says pray for the next generation. I don't care if it's the youngest generation or maybe we need some mothers to be grandmothers to be mothers to mothers or whatever. You get it. Anywhere, anywhere, make an impact. You can speak blessings to God over them. You can speak blessings from God over them. You begin to say, God gave me this in my prayer time. God gave me a word for you, and I'm going to speak life into it. I was reading my word the other day, and here's a scripture I want to share with you. I was so blessed on Friday, I needed some car work done, and there's an amazing family that's now a part of our church. They have three generations in this uh, church now, and they drive over 50 minutes to get here, and I'm so blessed by them, and I went to go visit them, and I, I thought uh, they were going to help me get my car right because I don't know what I'm doing when it comes to getting my car right, okay? I know I changed the oil. That's about it. Every other wobble. Come on, my parents were coming in town. I didn't want them riding on a wobbly car. And I knew they were going to go, you know, you got a wobble there. And I was going to go, I know, I know, I know. So I, I reached out to his family. I said, you know way more than me. Could you help me? And they said, yeah. They ended up blessing me big time because I hung out with them for the next two hours as they fixed up my car. Um, one of the gentlemen uh, had me to lunch with his wife. And then he asked this question, which I hate, by the way. Don't ask me this question. So how old do you think I am? I'm like, no, don't do that. Don't do that. This is a lose-lose. Come on. You know, I'm gonna, if I get it wrong, he ended up saying, I'm 71 years old. One of my favorite things about coming to Lift Church. And you know what I, I worried? I worried because I value the older gentleman, a generation so much. You have wisdom we don't have. You have experience we don't have. We need it. We're better because of it. Young generation, a building doesn't get built by our teenage income. <laughs> so many generous people have sewed in. And I was ready to, maybe I was a little worried to hear, I love this, this, and this, but I don't like, you know, it's loud or whatever. And he didn't. He said, you know what I love is my granddaughter comes and she's hearing faith in a, in a language that now when we take her out to eat after, she's asking the most potent difference-making questions about faith. I'm talking basic things that I get to now disciple her over lunch afterward. Come on. That's what I'm talking about, a generational blessing where you just say, I'm going to make room to speak into your life. I'm going to make room in my schedule. I'm going to make room in my prayer life. I'm going to make room to speak blessings over you. And if you don't know how, read number six over them. 
It says this. This is what I pray over our girls. This is how you are to bless God's people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Take a screenshot of that. If you don't know what else to pray, pray that over the next generation. Say, actually, before you get in the car to leave, before you go to school, before you get on the bus, before you go to your game, let me speak something over you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. My girls have it memorized. May the Lord's face shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you. May he give you peace that nothing else can give you. In Jesus' name, amen. And by faith, uh, believe. By faith, pray. By faith, touch. They, uh, Jacob and Isaac did not pray from Zoom. They, not, they, they did not pray from across the room. They prayed with their hands on them. They touched them. They got close to them. They got intimate to the next generation. You can hold the next generation at an arm's distance and complain, or you could go, they don't know how to parent. Times have changed. They're making all kinds of crazy stuff on the media. They're making crazy stuff in the schools. You can hold at arm's length, or you can say, come closer. I'm going to get my hands dirty. I'm going to put my hand on and impart what God has given to me. By faith, I'm going to believe and I'm going to touch. And I know love is a risk. But if you don't take the love risk, you know the alternative of wasting the gifts God's given you. Every single one of you tell your neighbor, you too have a gift from God to make a difference. God needs you. And so if you're still finding this hard to do, Get in the game. Go sit in their room. Get off of your phone. Have a guest over for dinner. Make room in your budget to include their friend on a vacation where they're going to see a family that prays. They're going to see a family that loves. A family that doesn't have it all together but leads by faith anyway. Always returning to faith. Invite them over for a place at dinner. Become a father to the fatherless. Become a mother to the motherless. In other words, adopt one as your own. And that's a very personal scripture to me that I finish with today. Ephesians 1, 4 and 5 says, Even before God made this world, God loved all of us. And he chose all of us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. And some of y'all are going, I have found big fault and unholiness in a lot of people's eyes. Well, he's called you to be a part of the solution, not to gripe about it. Jesus is not here on earth anymore. Holy Spirit wants to use you to get in the game, believe right things about them, speak right things about them, touch them and invite them over, have them into your house. God decided in advance to say these next two words with me, adopt us. Adoption is the heart of God. That this can start, the generational blessing can start in your own home, and I encourage you to, do not stop in your own home. Start adopting other people into your home. You say, that's your best friend? They're welcome at our table anytime. They can eat all the Doritos in the chip drawer because I don't know when y'all stop eating. But I made room in my budget to adopt you as your own so I can impart a faith that alters history. Because maybe, just maybe, I'm not saying that did happen, but there are more children growing up who do not have a father and a mother connected I'm just going to start imparting where I'm at I'm going to pray over them at the dinner table 
and it's going to impart a faith that moves mountains. You get what I'm saying? Can we do this, Live Church? Start a small group. Start inviting them in. It might cost you some time, money, resources, some, some words. But it finishes this way. This is what God wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. And so I'm a little over today, but I just want to say I have a suspicion that if it gives God great pleasure to adopt you and me into his family, even while we're still yet sinners, I have a suspicion if we're followers of God made in his image, it'll bring us the greatest pleasure to adopt others and start sharing our faith with them. I'm telling you, there's no greater joy than when you invite someone to church and they... I ask people to bow their heads, close their eyes, and you ain't bowing your head, closing your eyes. You're peeking because you're just like, I want them to receive the same faith that moves mountains. There's no greater joy than when you come in and you bring somebody to church or you pray over them and now they are intrigued by faith and they want to know more. So church, I believe we can do this. By faith, not by sight, by faith, believe. By faith, pray. By faith, touch. Can I pray with you today? Would you bow your head? Open your hands like you're going to receive something from heaven. God, I bless your church right now. Everybody in person and online, I bless them right now. And I know many in here are feeling inadequate, not good enough. Like I don't have the right words. I don't have the best education. I don't know God as well as others do. But Father, I pray right now by faith, stepping out. God, I thank you that you use a mustard-sized seed of faith to move mountains. And I believe that what this generation needs is mountain movers, and you're employing more of them today. It is happening in this place. Let your hand fall upon them. No condemnation in this place, only conviction and a heart of hope to move forward and to do it. Now, would everybody pray with me for the next generation? God, we speak life over them. Come on, just begin to say your own words. Father, we speak blessings over them. Father, we speak encouragement over them. We speak separation over them. We speak core convictions over them. We speak love over them. We speak abundantness. We speak adoption over them. And we speak your words over them. May you bless them. May you keep them. May your face shine down upon them. May you be gracious to them. May you turn your face towards them and give them peace in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Come on, God's moving mountains in this place. Before I finish, would you bow your heads one more time? Just search your heart right now. If you know I'm not right with God, I've walked away from him, or I've had sin in my life, and I'm not living correctly, if you're in this place and the weight of shame and regret is holding you back from doing what we talked about today and having a flourishing faith. Today is the day of liberty. You're going to receive salvation today. No one's looking around. Every head's bowed. Every eye's closed. I'm not going to call you down and I'm not going to embarrass you. But if you're in this place and you say, Pastor Drew, pray for me. I want to give my life to Jesus or I want to rededicate it or I want to ask him to forgive me of my sins. I know he's going to forgive you today. Just throw your hand high into the air real quick. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Yes. I see many hands. If you're online, you say that's me. Just write in the chat if you can. Me too. But believe every word we're about to pray together as our whole church prays along with you, especially those who raise your hands. Say, Jesus. I give you my life. I'm a sinner. I need you as my Savior. I'm sorry for the mistakes I made. And I give my life to you now. 
I believe Jesus is the Son of God. When he died on that cross, he paid the price for me. That was the cost of my sin. But now I get freedom today. The old is wiped away. The new is gone. I get a fresh start. And I make you, Jesus, my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Come on, church family. We say amen and we celebrate our new brothers and sisters.